I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. You guys know how much I appreciate you as well. When, when someone shares with me uh, how much they appreciate me. Uh, this church has just been such a blessing to us. Uh, I'm in my 13th year here. And uh, Edie and I were talking about that this morning. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, applause to you for putting up with me for 12 plus years, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, I always tell people, if you want to know how, how long I've been here, just look at Edie. And uh, I've been here as long as Edie's been alive. So, so uh, but it's, it's a blessing to uh, be your pastor and to serve here. There was a Southern Gospel song written in the 1960s called Jesus on the Main Line. How many of y'all are familiar with that song? I hope I don't ruin it for you. I'm afraid I'm going to. But... Uh, yeah, you said you appreciated me, but maybe not after this. <laughs> well, it's a catchy song. I think it takes the wrong approach when it comes to Jesus. In the song are, are these lyrics. Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. It just keeps repeating that. And then it says you call him up. Tell him what you want. The line ain't never busy. Tell him what you want. The line ain't never busy, tell him what you want. Call him up, tell him what you want. And then the last line is, if you're sick and you want to get well, tell him what you want. Repeats, call him up and tell him what you want. Many in our world today, they, they view Jesus in this way. They, they share Jesus in this way. We'll, we'll say something like this. If you need Jesus, call on him, call him up. He's there, the line's never busy, he's waiting on your call. That's the way many of us share Jesus. I read an ad a few years ago put out by a, a, a kid with his heart in the right place. He was trying to sell the idea of Jesus. And the title of the ad was, Are You Tired? And then the ad says, Jesus is your answer. Are you struggling with loneliness or or with addiction or in financial trouble, having relationship issues, if so, call on Jesus and he can help you. And some of you, you, you hear that and you say, well, Graham, what's, what's wrong with that? Jesus is the help for the hopeless, right? He can take people who are struggling physically and restore them. And while I'll, I, I agree with that, here's, here's my issue. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't just present Jesus in this way as a guy who's there if we need him, just waiting by the phone 
for us to call him up. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus is there if we need him. The Bible says we all need him. You need him. And the reason why is because without him, we do not have life. You need Jesus because without him, you don't have, have life. It doesn't matter if you're lonely or not. It doesn't matter if you're depressed or not, whether you're struggling financially or not, whether your marriage is on the rocks or not, whether you're addicted to drugs or not. If you are not in Christ, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Him alone for salvation, you are in need, period. And what we are to do as believers is share the gospel in such a way that, that addresses this need. While you can meet physical needs that, that people have, you need to show them that we all have a deeper spiritual need. We often stop short of the heart. We shouldn't do that. We just address the outward, the, the physical needs, and we stop short of the heart. We should never do that because God doesn't do that in His Word. Jesus didn't do that. His disciples, His apostles didn't do that. Scripture is clear that our main problem, get this, it's not exterior, it's interior. That's our problem. Our hearts are not right with God. Apart from Christ, we are shipwrecked, spiritually bankrupt, apart from and opposed to God in our sin. Sin is what is called the great equalizer. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, sick or healthy, happily married or miserably divorced. If you're not trusting in Christ alone, if you're going at life on your own, you are dead in sin, as we've been talking about in Ephesians 2, with God's wrath set against you, and the only hope for you is Jesus. People don't need to be told that Jesus is there if and when they need Him. They need to be told that they need Jesus and will perish without Him. We need Jesus. We need the life He lived. We need the, the forgiveness that He brings. We need the work that He accomplished at the cross applied to us. We need His righteous life in exchange for our sinful one. We need Him to stand in our place. We need Him to return from uh, for us. We need all of that. Every one of us. We all need Jesus. We're continuing our sermon series through the five alones of Christianity on October the 31st, 1517. A theology professor named Martin Luther posted a writing on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And in this writing, he, he questioned, he challenged the doctrines of the papacy at this time and the practices of the church. And the reason he did this is because the more Luther and other reformers studied the scriptures, the more they began to see how far the church had drifted from the core doctrines of the Christian faith. So he made every effort that he could to bring about reform within the church. He wanted to see the church reform from within, but the church leaders at this time were not having it. Instead of opening the door for change, we have said they, they closed the door on Luther and other reformers. So he and other so-called protesters broke from the church at this time. And what resulted from that 
was the start of Protestantism and the spread of Protestant congregations across Europe. And we have said here today, believers, we are a, a product as a church. We're a product, a result, that an outcome from this great reformation that took place. And over the past several weeks, we have been discussing these key biblical doctrines that were reintroduced during this period of reformation. We have looked at sola scriptura, which is Latin for scripture alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Last week, we looked at sola fide, which is Latin for faith alone. And this morning, the doctrine that, that we're going to look at, the essential doctrine, biblical doctrine that was reintroduced during the time of the reformation is the doctrine known as solus Christus, which is Latin for Christ alone. This teaching tells us that we are saved by Christ alone, through His person and work alone. This doctrine teaches us that there is no other way to be saved, no other way to be forgiven, no other way to be made right with God, only through Jesus Christ. And while the, the, the reformers, Luther and, and others, focus primarily on the fact that, that in Christ alone is salvation, in Him and Him alone are we forgiven of sin and, and made, made right with God, in addition to Christ being our only hope for salvation, this morning we're going to focus in on the fact that Christ is our only hope for everything. Christ is our everything. He created us. He is sustaining us. He redeemed us. He intercedes for us. He stands before the Father on our behalf. And He is our only hope for the future. We are going to learn this morning that in Christ alone we have physical life, spiritual life, eternal life, physically and spiritually in Him, and in Him alone, and in Him forever. Okay? Amen. Let's first discuss the fact that in Christ alone, we have physical life. And the reason why is because Christ alone is our Creator. You have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 1. Normally, what we do is we stay put in a passage of Scripture, and normally we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the entire book that we're studying. We're going to do that with Judges. I've not forgotten about Judges. i got to finish that up, 19, 20, and 21. We're going to do that in November, okay? But I'm breaking my rule today, so don't tell anybody. But I'm breaking the rules today. Next week we'll be just in a particular a particular text of Scripture, but we're going to jump around a bit this morning. But we're going to start in Hebrews 1. We're going to be in Hebrews a lot. We've been singing about Hebrews when we talk about our anchor being held within the veil. That's from Hebrews, okay? So we're going to, we're going to be in Hebrews a lot, but other places as well. But we're going to start Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. That's the main point 
the author is making here in Hebrews is that, is that Jesus is supreme. Not just over the prophets, as he, as he says here, but he's supreme over everything. That's one of the, the, the main points in the book of Hebrews. He is supreme. He is supreme over angels. He is supreme over priests. He is supreme over prophets. He says here in verse 1, In the past, the way God has communicated to us is through the prophets. But this verse says, In recent days, however... God has communicated to us, not through the prophets, but through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's making the point here, Jesus is better. He's greater than all the former prophets. And I, I, I want you to notice here at the end of verse 2, just to make His point of, of how much better Jesus is, the author says, The Son is the one whom God appointed the heir of all things. He is Lord of all. As we have been singing this morning, He is Lord of all creation and through whom He made the world. He is saying that Jesus is the creator of everything. The Son is the creator. There are a lot of other verses that support this as well. Let's... let's Look at another, John 1. You can write these down if you're not quick. John 1, 1 through 3. I'm going to read verse 3. We're told all things were made through Him. Through, through whom? The Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. God the Father made the world through God the Son. Jesus, he says, all things were created by Christ and there was not anything created that he did not create. Now there are people, there are doctrines that have existed throughout church history, false doctrines, and that exist today that teach that Jesus was a created being. Let's use our minds for a minute. If all things were created through him and nothing was created that he did not create, he could not be created. You follow that logic? He is creator, eternal. Everything that has been created has been created by Christ. Now, why is this important to point out? Well, when some think of Jesus, they think of his beginnings here on earth. We, we, many don't think of him in the Old Testament, but what we learn in passages like John 1 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 is that Jesus preceded the time of his earthly ministry. While there was a time in history when he took on flesh, as Eugene Peterson says, he moved into the neighborhood, he tabernacled among us, he has existed eternally as the second person of the Trinity. God the Son, eternal. He is creator of all that is. The reason why you and I are here today physically is because of Jesus. He is our creator. We also learn by Paul in Colossians 1 that in him all things hold together. He's not just our creator, he is our sustainer. The reason why we exist right now and keep on existing is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's powerful. So, 
While at a certain time in history, God the Son took on flesh, became one of us to live for us and die for us and was raised for us to save us, He has always existed as God. He said during His earthly ministry, before Abraham was, I am. That is a divine claim, and that is also a claim of him being eternal. While he was David's son in the flesh, in his humanity, he was David's Lord spiritually. Christ is eternally God and the creator and sustainer of all that is. The reason why it's important for us to focus on this is because this affirms his supreme authority. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He took on flesh to be the revelation of God. God the Son to reveal who God is through His person and through His teachings and through His work. He came to tell us how things are going to be. He is the Word, the revelation of God. He came to tell us how we're supposed to live and who we are to live for and, and even Though we have our own agendas, want to go in life our own, Jesus created us in this world for us to live in for Him. Going in life on our own, that's the sin of Adam. We have all committed that sin. Apart from and opposed to Him, He came to draw us to Him, to draw us to God, to bring us to God through His person and work. Who are we to question Him or go against Him when He tells us how we are to live? Someone is the Lord of your life this morning, and the question for you is, who is it? Is it you? Are you living like the people in the time of the judges who did what was right in their own eyes? Is it you? Are you your own authority, or is it Creator King Jesus? Scripture is clear that Christ has created you and me. He is giving us breath to breathe moment by moment. He is sustaining us. He is keeping us in the world in which we live together by the word of His power. And what He calls for us to do is to give that life that He has given us back over to Him. He wants us to redirect the breath that He gives us back to Him in praise to Him. He wants the heart that He has created to belong to Him. He wants the hands and feet that He has created to faithfully serve Him and Him alone. He calls for nothing less than that. He comes as the King and He comes to reign supreme. The question is, is He reigning supreme in your heart and life today? He is our creator. Christ alone is also our savior. Next point. As we said a moment ago, this teaching of salvation through the person and work of Christ alone was another key teaching that was reintroduced during the time of the Reformation. And this, this teaching teaches us that there is no other way to be saved, no other way to be forgiven, no other way to be made right with God but through Christ alone. And this is spelled out very, very clearly in God's Word. Remember Peter said in, in Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pretty, pretty clear, right? Listen to what Jesus said about it in John 14.6. Many of you have these verses committed to memory. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty clear. Christ alone. Now, some of you may be asking the question, why why did Luther and the other reformers need to reintroduce this doctrine to the church? I mean, that is as foundational a doctrine as we have in the Christian faith. Well, in, in Luther's day, the church believed that when a person died, they went to a place called purgatory and they were detained there for a time and they were dependent upon the prayers and the religious acts of the faithful to reduce their time in purgatory and even spring them from purgatory. The church believed one could do certain acts on behalf of friends and family to reduce their time. Luther actually did this. Martin Luther traveled to Rome on behalf of relatives, and there were steps there. There were supposedly the steps where Jesus appeared before Pilate, and if you went on each step praying along the way, you could spring a soul from purgatory or reduce time in purgatory, and so Luther did this. He prayed on every step, and when he reached the top, he said to himself, who knows if it's true? We learn it's not true as he began to study the Scriptures. He and other reformers came to realize through the study of the Word that there is only one who has the ability to save. There is only one true intercessor, one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. They learn that salvation is not a work that we can do, nor is it a work that somebody can do on behalf of of us. There is only one who is able to save, and that is Christ. And some of you, upon hearing that, will think, okay, I understand why that was an issue for them. Why is it important for us, Protestants, to focus on this today? Why do we need to know that Christ alone is our Savior? Well, we live in a day and in an age where it's not popular to take a strong stance on anything. There there are many who have been taught, they believe, there are many religious roads that lead to God. There are many different beliefs. I don't know which one to believe in, so I'm just going to sort of hedge my religious bets and and just give them all a bit of, of credibility and teach that there are many ways, many religious roads that lead to God. This is what is called pluralism, And it is widely popular in our world today. Here's the main problem with pluralism when it comes to Christianity. The claims made about Christ and the claims that Christ made about himself are exclusive. They leave no room for any other way. Jesus said, I am the way. Peter said, there is salvation in no one else. Only Christ, solus Christus, Christ alone. So we can't take the position of both and when it comes to Christianity. We we can't say that there are many religious roads that lead to God and Christianity is one of those roads because Christianity says there's only one road. There's only one way. It's a narrow way to the Father. Few find it because it's through Christ alone. Through Christ alone. Another reason it's important to be reminded of this doctrine is because there are also many in our world today who believe, again, that we bring something to the table when it comes to salvation. The Bible says the only thing that we contribute when it comes to our salvation 
is our sinfulness that makes us in desperate need of rescue, in desperate need of what Christ has done. We bring nothing positive. We cannot be who God has called us to be. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us. And praise be to God, He has provided for us what He requires. He has sent us a Savior in His Son, Jesus. Now let's talk about what Jesus has done for us. Couple, a few bullet points here, several, three, I think. Number one, he lived for us. You've heard it said before, maybe you've said it, we're not saved by works. That's not altogether true. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved by Christ's works on our behalf. He fulfilled all righteousness, as it says in Matthew 3. He lived the perfect life for us. This point is so very important because when explaining the gospel message, we immediately go ahead to the cross. Now, you got to get to the cross, right, to share the gospel. But don't bypass the 33 years in which Jesus lived. There's a reason why Jesus didn't come down right away on that day, go straight to the cross and back up to be with the Father. He came as a child. He became one of us. He was born. He lived the perfect life that we can never live. He he lived that life in our place so that he could give us that righteous life in exchange for our sinful one. Christ lived in our place. He lived for us. He fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf. He was perfect in every way. So he lived for us. Another way Christ saves us is by suffering and dying for us. First of all, we're told he suffered. Throughout his entire life, Christ lived a life of poverty and suffering. When you live in a world that is fallen, you necessarily experience pain and suffering. Many of you are there right now. Many of you have been there. Many of you will be there. That's the result of living in this fallen world. Now, Christ is going to come. He's he's currently restoring and redeeming and one day will will just complete the work in us and the work in in our world but at this time we're in the already not yet we we still suffer as a result of sin living in a fallen world we suffer jesus experienced this as well jesus took on flesh he came to earth he experienced the same suffering we experience He did that to identify with us in every way. Christ suffered in this life. He suffered in his death. He suffered at the cross. He suffered physically and spiritually there. First, he suffered physically. Roman crucifixion was known as being one of the most brutal, one of the most grotesque forms of capital punishment imaginable. And while the Romans did not not invent this practice, it is said that they perfected it. They carefully designed it to be as excruciatingly painful as possible. Jesus died in this way. He experienced physical pain. He also bore sin. He was crushed by God for us. God's wrath had to be satisfied. God is a righteous God. He cannot overlook sin. He cannot sweep it under the rug. Sin had to be dealt with, and so Jesus became sin, who knew no sin. He took on our sin and was crushed in our place so that we might not have to be crushed so that we could be rescued he endured god's wrath so that we could be forgiven isaiah tells us this in isaiah 53 god laid upon christ 
the iniquity of us all. And he crushed his son so that we through him could be forgiven and restored to God through Christ. So Christ saves because he lived for us. He suffered and died for us. He was also raised for us. That's another way he saves us. He was raised for us. Jesus' life and death mean little if Christ is not raised. Not my words, the Apostle Paul's words. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, we might as well close and lock these doors and go home never to return. That's Paul's application there. Christ's resurrection is what, it, it, it validates it. it. It seals the work he accomplishes for us in his life and, and, and death. We are saved through his resurrection because he has been raised and is ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. He, he intercedes for us forever. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But because of the, the, the life of Christ, because of his perfect obedience, because of the suffering and death of Christ, and because of the resurrection we are, we are saved. It comes through Christ alone. He alone is our Savior. Okay? So He's our Creator. He's our Savior. We're not done yet. Christ alone is also our High Priest. We focused on this a ton in our study through the book of Hebrews several years ago. Christ as our High Priest is really the heart of Hebrews. That, that's really the heart of, of that book. Christ has come to be our perfect representative, our perfect go-between, our perfect intercessor, our perfect mediator. He is our high priest. Understanding who Christ is as our high priest, that will really enrich your study of the Old Testament. We need to always study the Old Testament, you hear me say this all the time, with New Testament eyes. And when you do that, when you see who Jesus is, is our priest, when you understand that, it will really, really enrich your, your study of, of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had a priest who was from the tribe of Levi, from the household of Aaron, who would offer animal sacrifices on behalf of God's people. The animal would be a lamb, bull, goat, or ram. So you had a priest and you had a sacrifice, and the people would go to the priest, and they would take this animal, and the priest would then go to God and, and intercede for the people of God before God on their behalf. He would offer prayers to God, offer the animal to God as a sacrifice. He would offer a sacrifice for himself and on behalf of others because they were all sinners in need of sacrifice. This work served as a visual illustration of the supreme work that Jesus would accomplish. In the New Testament, Jesus functions as, as both priest and sacrifice. He, he acted as our priest, and as our priest, he offered a sacrifice for us, and that sacrifice was his own life. And he offered it one time, once and for all, a one-time sacrifice for all time. Christ took care of sins, past, present, and future, forever at Calvary. And there is, there is something else here that's very important. Not only was Jesus our priest, but he is our priest today. 
The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.24 that Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. While he has died, he has been raised and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father on high and there he is before the Father as our permanent, perfect priest. Our anchor is within the veil of the Holy of Holies in the temple, not made with human hands. Because Christ is there. And we who are in Him are there as well. And will be there forever. That's what Christ has done for us. He's, he's our perfect priest. Much better than the priest of the Old Testament because guess what? The high priest of the Old Testament, he could enter in only one time a year and, and had to go through uh, all of these, these rituals and the practice to do that on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement. But guess what? He couldn't bring anyone in with him. Jesus can usher anyone in who responds to him in repentance and faith. Listen to Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. In this text, the, the, the writer is contrasting, again, the Old Testament priest with the New Testament priest who is Jesus. He said in the Old Testament there were tons of priests. The reason why is because they would die and there was a need for another one. Jesus is alive. He lives forevermore. He died, was raised, and ascended, and he is our perfect representative before God because he is truly God and truly man. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. We're in right standing with him now, those of us who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation because Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. We often focus on the work that Christ has done in saving us and we fail to, to, to focus on the fact that Christ is at work for us right now, today. And he will be at work for us forever. He forever lives to make intercession for us. He forever stands for us before the Father. He alone is our perfect and eternal priest. Listen to what Paul says in, in Romans 8.34. He says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding, present tense, for us. Jesus right now is interceding for us. He is at the right hand of God, is currently functioning as our high priest right now. He's not offering any more sacrifices. He has offered up the perfect sacrifice for us by laying his own life down. He is the lamb who is slain before the Lord. He is our living sacrifice and he stands before God once and for all, forever. He is our mediator, our intercessor, our priest. So encouraging. That should encourage you. If you're here this morning, you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you know Him, know this, you have a priest who is supreme, who is truly God, truly man, who is interceding on your behalf right now and will be forever. Last point. He is our creator. He is our savior. He alone is our high priest. In Christ alone, is our hope for the future. He alone 
is our hope for the future. Our future in this life, it's moment by moment, isn't it? A lot of uncertainties. While I hope to see you here next week, I can't give anyone that guarantee, self-included. We don't know. But we do know, looking forward, we do know what eternity looks like for us believers. We know. While we don't know what the next 10, 20, 40 years looks like, I know what forever looks like for me. And I know what forever looks like for you. God tells us in His Word, He, he, he tells us that a time is coming when, when Christ is going to return and it's something to look forward to. It's going to be good. We're, we're told that when He returns, the work being done in believers will be completed. When Christ appears, sin will be removed. Pain and heartache will be no longer. No more death. When Christ returns, we will be made like Him. When we see Him as He is, we will inherit a glorified body like Christ and we will share in His eternal glory. John says this in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. We're to be Pursuing godliness until that time, preparing for that day when we will be like Christ, when we see Him as He is. That is the blessed hope that we have in Christ. In Christ alone, we have this hope. Nothing in this life can give you what He can. While there are things in our world that can make us happy for a time, Christ provides for us Lasting joy, happiness, and satisfaction forever. Abundant life, eternal life in Him. Doesn't matter what we experience in this life. It cannot take the joy that we have in Christ away. It is fixed. It is secure. Therefore, that needs to be where we spend the majority of our time and focus is, is on the blessed hope that we have as believers. That is where we are to turn people's focus when they endure trials in this life is the blessed hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Christ alone, our hope for the future is, is secure. So let me, let me uh, uh, close by saying this. The reality is this. We need Jesus. We need Him for our very existence. He alone is our Creator. We need Him for our salvation. He alone is our Savior. We need Him to stand before God for us. He alone is our High Priest. And we need Him to return for us. He alone is our hope for the future. If you're here this morning listening online, you don't know Jesus. If you're, you're, you have not given your life up and over to Him. If you're not trusting in Him alone for your salvation. I'm here to tell you today, no matter what's going on in your life, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You're in desperate need of Him. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to call upon Him if you need Him. I'm saying you need Him. You need to call upon Him because without Him, there is not life. Physically or spiritually, without Him, we are lost and hopeless. 
If I'm talking to you today, your invitation today is turn from your life of sin. Turn from going at life on your own. Look to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Surrender your life to the Lord of all creation today. Let's pray together.